0: Good morning. How are you? You good? Are you sure? Okay, fantastic. Well, my wife, bless her, is is away with some members of her family. She's gone on a spa weekend. It's all right for some. And uh, so, I've realised, you know, when you have to parent solo, man, it's hard work, isn't it? Well, I find it is. So. I had to bring the children. We've got a 9am gathering that I brought them along to, which they were overjoyed at coming along. And then when we got here, they said, have you, have you got some snacks? And I said, no, I haven't got snacks. Well, mommy always brings snacks. I said, well, I haven't got snacks because I'm not your mother, am I? And she said, have you got spare pants? No, for me, yes, but not for you. So, <laughs> so thank you to Heather Andrews and others who kept them from going into Noah's Ark and goodness knows what else. So Man, it's hard work. Anyway, um, I don't know. Let me start with a question. Have you ever been invited somewhere and you thought, well, what do I wear? Yeah, you ever had that? Or, I had a, a couple of years ago, I was invited to Lambeth Palace. I know, I know. I was impressed too. And I thought, well, what do you wear? Well, I didn't know. So I messaged a few people and they all said something different. So I was really stressed. And then as well as going to Lambeth Palace, there was an invitation to the House of Lords. No one's, no one's impressed in the balcony, I can say. There's maybe, maybe, some, uh, maybe some Republicans in the house. But anyway, there you go. And, and, and I remember thinking, well, I better, put, I better obviously gotta wear a suit. So I don't know whether this happens to you, but sometimes suits, particularly the trousers, they shrink over time. Have you ever found that? I don't know what it is. They just, like, you leave them and the air gets to them I don't know what, and they shrink, you know? And, and I'm not a particularly organized person, so I left it a little bit last minute and I put the suit on and I thought, well, this, is, this isn't going to work. So I thought, well, I, I, it's a big deal. I better buy a new suit. And so I bought it on the internet, as you do. And, you know, it didn't arrive in time. The trousers arrived, which was a blessing because that was a real issue. And so I went to this thing and I had a different set of trousers, I had a different jacket, I wore a waistcoat. I looked like a Peaky Blinder, but I'd been but dressed for Moxfam or something like that. It was, oh, it was so embarrassing. Do you know, it was so dark, no one could see anyway. What a blessing. But, you know, I found for the sense of what, what, what does it mean to be clothed? What does it mean to, to wear? Because somehow you, there's a temptation to project a certain image. And uh, whether it's what you wear or whether it's how you conduct yourself, for me, I like to use humour uh, as a way of just keeping a bit of distance. It's a top tip. I'm running a seminar on it later. It really works very effectively. But from the beginning of time, the Bible says that we have been covering ourselves. Right, our very our ancestors Adam and Eve. Whether that you believe that's a literal translation using fig leaves or not, it's a sense in which we are covering ourselves from other people. We just use social media now. Of the hundreds and thousands of pictures we take, we choose the one that looks good. So, how do we clothe ourselves? How do we do that? I want us to think um, uh, about today what it means to feed your soul and starve the flesh. To feed your soul and starve the flesh and hopefully I will explain that and hopefully it will all tie together and it will make sense. I want us to cast our mind, before we read from Colossians and we journey through what it is, kingdom culture, how that that applies to our life, what does it mean for us today in Sheffield in 2023. I want us to cast our mind to a story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the parable of the prodigal son which has often been renamed the parable of the running father. If it's not familiar to you, read it. I think it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I go back to it all the time. If you come to our church, been here for a while, you're going to hear it a lot just to be upfront about it now. if you, oh, He's on about it again. Is it only, I've only got five sermons, okay, folks, so I do have to recycle them. Um, but if you remember, this, this, the younger son does a runner, and he takes... All of his he takes some of his father's money, he takes what he's he's going to inherit, and he legs it. And he ends up, the Bible Jesus tells us that he goes to a foreign land and he ends up bankrupt. So all the money that he's been given, all the money that he's inherited, he is wasted. And it gets so bad for him, he ends up feeding the pigs. Now, when I was at school, um, in primary school in the West Midlands, the food that we didn't eat went into this big metal container, and it went off to a local pig farm. There you go. So uh, the food wasn't great to begin with. By the time the pigs got it, it must have been absolutely terrible. But this guy, is he, the, Jesus tells us that he's looking at the pig food, and, and so he, he's bankrupt, he's run out of money, he, he's now almost... He's seeking asylum. He's, he's trying to uh, sketch out a living in a, in a land that is not his own. He's a long way from home. And he's the, Jesus tells us that he's looking at the pig, pig food and, it's, and, he, and he's salivating. He's, he, he, he's hungry. He's starving. And what happens is, is, is the Bible says that he comes to his senses and he goes home. And it's important, this is the bit that I, wanna, I would love to illustrate, is that, that as he's going home... He leaves home in all of his refinery, wearing the best clothes. But as he returns, he returns as almost like a a pauper. In fact, it says that when the father sees him in a distance, he runs to him. And he has nothing on his feet, and that is a sign that he's become a slave. He's in a really bad way. And what is so radical, when we listen to that story, we go, okay, he's, welcome, he's welcomed home. But, but to the, the culture at the time, when Jesus is telling that story, actually it would have been profoundly offensive because the father should have cancelled the son. As soon as the son walked out, that was it, he was dead to the father. And so as Jesus tells in this story, the father sees the boy and the father runs to the boy. And the boy has rehearsed the story that says, "I've messed everything up. I've sinned against you. I've sinned." Uh, and the father embraces him, and then he says, "This." It put he puts sandals on his feet, which is the sign of sonship. He gives him a ring, which means it's like a credit card. Can you imagine? I won't give him a credit card. But he gives him a ring. And that ring means that, that, that he can go anywhere now and show that ring and spend all of the resources of his father. And then he puts a shawl over him. And that is the Hebrew sign of belonging. So when anyone sees the boy, they see the father. So when the boy walks around the town... They no longer see that waster, that scoundrel, that younger son, but they see the father. And as he walks around the town where he lives or the kind of rural countryside, he goes, because the father is a man of means, he goes with his authority. He goes wearing sandals so his sonship has been restored And he goes flashing the ring, which means that he can spend all of the resources of the father. He is restored to being a son. He's clothed with his father's cloak. I want us to remember that for a moment because as we're going to dive into Colossians chapter 3 now, um, this idea that we are clothed is something that is common in Paul's writings in the New Testament. And if you're wondering, well, what does it mean? Have the image of Luke chapter 15. Have the image of the son who has abandoned the father, who has dishonored the father, restored back to the father in the form of being clothed with him, identifying with him. When other people see him, they see the father because that is what Paul is driving at in this passage, we're going to read the whole of Colossians chapter three together. This is what it says: "Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds not of set your mind on things above, not on earth things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory." Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to live in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off Your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love this, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Wonderful. Um, so here we go. There is in the, there are three kind of sections here. Which, if we had more time, we'd spend probably a week on each section. And you'll be relieved to know that I'm not going to do that right now. But I find that as soon as I get particularly into anything, well, a lot of the Bible, but but particularly anything to do with the with the Apostle Paul, it is so packed with meaning that it just feels. Just to pick out one or two verses doesn't do it justice, and except we can't go through the whole thing, we don't have time. But I do want to pick out, particularly in the first section, verse 1, I think it's going to appear on the screen. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing, um, when last week when Joel Pollard, who he sat down did an amazing, amazing talk, he talks about what we've seen already as we've tracked through Colossians that Paul often says we're in Christ. It is, it is um, a, a kind of a clear description in Paul's thinking what it means to be in covenant with God. What does that mean? It means an eternal binding agreement that we are now part of him and he is now in us. It's this unshaking, immovable reality of what it is to know and love and be loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that God embraces us, taking our sin, taking our shame, all of the things that have prevented us from being able to walk into his presence because of our sin. Now Jesus Christ takes that upon himself, the one who is perfect. And therefore we embrace as he takes, the sinless one takes our sin, we embrace the love of Jesus, we embrace the forgiveness of Jesus, we embrace Jesus' identity and Paul encapsulates that with this little word in, we are in Christ. What does that mean? It means that my identity is now in Christ. I'm not a Brummie Christian or a working class Christian or a this Christian, I am in Christ. It is the primary driver of our identity. I am in Christ. Any other things that we attach and make our identity are not valid. It is to be in Christ. And you have to remember that the Apostle Paul is talking to a church which is primarily divided of all different types, of Jews and of Greeks and of different places, slaves and free. They were hugely divided, and yet he says that the covenant call that God has placed on you surpasses all the things that divide you. You are now in him. And so this word in verse 5 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. I think we've got it on a separate slide, actually, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind. If you there we go. With, there you go. So with Christ. in big letters, so we can't... There you go. So make it clear. With Christ. So what Paul is saying into a church that has been very much divided around super spiritual. Some people have special knowledge. Some people are first-class Christians. They're the ones who kind of, you know, they can see things. Ooh, you can just see something over you. No, no I'm joking. They're the ones that can see things. And then everyone else who's normal is like, well, I don't get any of that. What are you talking about? And they're like, oh, I know what you did last night. Oh, gosh, I hope you didn't. And then everyone else is normal. And there's a great division. And so Paul says, Do you know, Jesus is above it all. He is the one who is on the throne. He's the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us right now. I find that mind-blowing, that he knows our names. In fact, Revelation says it's tattooed on our head. Remarkable. And he's saying that as, we've been, as, we, as our sin has been crucified with Christ, so the resurrection life is, is available to us. So we've been raised with Christ. It means we're part of a different story. It means whatever terrible challenge that you face right now, that does not have the final word. It means Jesus Christ with his resurrection power that can change any situation, however brutally painful, he's in it with you and he's working his purposes. It means that that now is our identity as we say we're in Christ. So as Christ has been raised from the dead, we are now with him. And as he embraces us, and puts on us this cloak of belonging. You, I look in the mirror and see a working class bald man from the West Midlands. Who has three C's at GCSE. But he sees his son. Hallelujah. He doesn't see me. In the way I see. And the challenge of discipleship. Is for the, the thing that I see about myself. To catch up with what he sees. And what he says. That's the journey. And what Paul tells us here in in the rest of these passages is that we go through the the journey of discipleship, which is essentially about repenting, turning back to him, and stepping into the faith, the faith that God speaks over us. And he says that we are in Christ, and if we're in Christ, we have been raised with him. And this is what Paul begins to talk about. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So we're just going to have our hands up now, okay, if that's okay. Sexual immorality okay, impurity, lust, evil desires. I don't know why I did that. It's a bit weird, but I'll just press on. And greed, which is idolatry. Okay, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Well, that's encouraging. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you almost rid of yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filth, and language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've been taken off your old self uh, with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now here's the thing. What Paul is saying is he is um, addressing idolatry. So so the thing is when you read that you think, oh gosh, it's a sex talk. Oh no, I've come to church on the wrong day. They're going to talk about sex. He does talk about sex. In fact, it's a Greek word, porneia, which refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. And for Paul, that is between marriage, between a man and a woman. That's pretty clear throughout the New Testament. And so Paul, yes, he's addressing those things. He's also addressing stuff like impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. But the root of it for Paul is about idolatry. Now, I grew up thinking that idols were something that other cultures had. So you take a school trip to a temple and you see some like gold monkeys or whatever it was. You think, well, they're idols. But the reality is that idols are good things in our lives that become ultimate things. They can be the things that we draw our identity from. It can be our financial status. It can be, it can be, um, it can be our children. It can be whatever we we can create all kinds of things and make them into idols. It's part of life. Now, this happened to to, to, um, to, to me the other week. Um, I want to talk about algorithms. So if, you, if you ever look on um, uh, Instagram or, or you look on Facebook or, or Google, as you know that what, whatever you look at is tracked. And then companies pay a lot of money to get your data, and then they'll bombard you with images. And the, prime, and, and, and the primary purpose of these images is to make you dissatisfied with your life. It's to make us unhappy. Because it buys into a lie that says, if I pursue this, then somehow life will get better. It's the same way why the, why the Apostle Paul addresses sex. Because he's like, well, if you had better sex or sex with this person or that person, then your life will somehow be fulfilled. And so he's addressing all of the things, that the lust or pornography, or comes from this Greek word, pornaire, All of those things that become idols in our lives. And often they become idols in our lives because we think we can control them. And this just made me chuckle because it's a Rolls Royce for £345,000. It's a, it's a V12, so you start it up and it's warming up Liberia as soon as you start it, folks, it really is. And um, there you go. So the Church of England now do a car buying scheme and I've put a deposit down and I've paid for it in 300 years. So that's very exciting. Pass it down to the generations as we go. But here's the thing. The reason that it's popped up is that to the right of it, which you can't see, is a Volkswagen Caravelle. Now, as you know, I love Volkswagens Uh, on holiday. I have friends who are vicars, and on holidays, they take pictures of cathedrals. I take pictures. Uh, I went to the Volkswagen Museum. It was like a spiritual pilgrimage for me to go and see where Volkswagens come from. And then the Caravelle, I loved it. And I was looking on the internet thing. It wouldn't be amazing to have a Caravelle. We've got t- three kids, a bit tight in the back, two dogs. We clearly need a Caravelle. So I started to look and I started, if I might, to, to really get into it. Really get into it, and so so all of the algorithms were bringing up cars to look at, and I started to lust after Volkswagens, folks. It's a weird confessional. Thank you for listening. I feel better for sharing it right now. But but I started if if I just get that Caravelle, our life will be made. You know, it'll just be DSG automatic, hundred eighty brake horsepower. Fantastic. I mean, I can't afford the tax I mean, It's just in my head. It's ridiculous. But I just began to to realize that 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 I was if i if i was feeling down or low i'd start looking for volkswagen caravels and i just thought actually I'm not sure this is I'm not sure this is helpful and so it became has become somewhat of an idol it's a kind of comical story but it shows how idols can really grow in our lives they become the ultimate thing they can become the Lord of our lives. For years, I you know this story. Clarissa and I couldn't have children. And honestly, the, the thought of having children had become an idol to us. We looked at everybody else. Well, their life's complete because they've got children. And we haven't. So we're not complete. And it was a real painful moment where we felt the Lord say our completeness is, is from him. Not whether we've got kids or not. And that was our journey. That took about five years. I've said it as if it happened in two seconds. It didn't. It took a very, very, very long time. But Paul is beginning to say, this is not your identity. You're made in his image. He's clothed us with a righteousness. He calls us to a life that lives without idols, that we are to put to death to feed our soul with the good things and starve those things which are of the flesh. The word flesh comes from the Greek word sarx. And Paul often refers to it as the old man, and it means this, you convert to Jesus Christ and you encounter his grace. But the fleshiness, the old man, the old life, the old man refers to Adam as in Adam and Eve, takes a while to put to death. And that's the word the Paul uses, that we put it to death. We, we, it's not compatible with the new life that has been given to us, the cloak of righteousness that Jesus has given us. It's not compatible. It's a bit like when I was once in Tesco, and I was standing, I love dogs, I love Labradors in particular, and I was standing behind somebody who had a guide dog. And the guide dog, I mean, they spend thousands and thousands, I mean, it's about £45,000 pounds training each dog. dog was very well-behaved, nothing like mine. And it was just cueing, and it turned it at a chocolate bar. The wrapper and everything. There it was, tune it. And I thought, wow, the most well-behaved dog. But the nature was to eat chocolate for food. And sometimes it's our nature that by the Spirit of God that he calls us to put to death. I remember when I was at theological college, went to a drug rehab in Birmingham, and it was more of a mission to us. And I re- there was a real, there was th- these guys had radical change lives, crazy lives, and there was this phrase that they'd always say, if somebody started to boast about their old life, I remember this one goes, and I used to make 20 grand a week. I was like, all right, we should get one of those Rolls Royces. Um, and people say, old life, old life, Old life. It was just like a little phrase, old life. It was just like, that that was, that was a particular season. That's not part of who you are now. And that's what Paul says. It's the old life. And so the word that the Scriptures uses is repentance. And the word repentance, whenever we use it, um, gets a bit of a bad press because we can think of somebody... Are standing on the streets, who is shouting, "Repent!" I don't know if you've ever come across them. Uh, we've got one coming next week. I invited him to come speak, so it'd be a great thing. Um, but you know that sense of it feels very negative and heavy. But actually, repentance gets a bad press because essentially, what it means is to turn around, to hear what it is that God is saying, and to offer and surrender our life afresh to Jesus Christ. And what can happen with repentance? These two things. The first thing is, when we hear repentance, it feels very heavy, very intense. And actually what can happen is we can think about how it is we've affected our own life and affected the life of other people. And that's partial repentance. But repentance is when we realise how our actions and behaviours affect God. And you know, God has a view on how we live our life. And so repentance is coming before a holy God Yes, a loving God, but a deeply holy God who looks in our eyes and we say, Lord, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. Jesus, I am so sorry. And then he says, I clothe you in righteousness to walk in a different way. And then Paul moves on, very interesting. he says this, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, sinthine, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, as God's people who are bound together. Here's the thing, Paul is, Paul is saying that we put to death the idols in our lives, Maybe it's we've just got very comfortable. Maybe we're just used to having money. Maybe we just a bit fed. Whatever it might be, ask the Holy Spirit to point it out. In fact, go for a week without saying anything negative about somebody. Say only good things about other people. Or make a decision to fast certain ways. The way that we can silence this stuff is we fast other things. And you soon realize where the idols in our hearts have begun to grow. We've all got them. We just don't always see them. And then Paul begins to say that we're Gentile and Jews, circumcised, barbarian, blah, 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 slave or free. And he says, look, the church is so disparate. You're all massively different. How on earth can you unite together when you're all so different You've from different backgrounds? Some of you different nationalities, some of you different races, some of you are slaves, some of you are really wealthy. It is just insane. How can this be? And he says, you're God's chosen people. You're bound together. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, we don't cancel them as society don't just don't cancel people but we say you are welcome We, we love you why because our own story is rooted in grace if our story is rooted in religion then we'll always be judgmental and we'll look down our noses at people who aren't like us but our story is not that our story is grace that i am a mess you're a mess That I need grace, we need grace. That I can't please God, we can't please God. We need him. And if that is our story, if that is our song, then we begin to live out grace in a way that is true and beautiful and we offer that to people unconditionally to the people that we meet. So Paul's saying, kill off the idols in your life so that you can love other people with a deep love. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love, agape love. Which means we don't stumble over who people aren't. I love doing that. I can really stumble over if somebody isn't. We're not called to do that. We're called to see them as the Lord Jesus sees them. And you can only see people as Jesus sees them. If you rest in the grace of how he sees you. Clothed, embraced in righteousness. And he says, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And to be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Paul is saying that the bedrock for us is grace. That we are called to to have a disparate, the church is called to be a a kind of random group of people bound together, united in Jesus Christ. As you and I embrace individually the shawl, the sign of belonging that we've seen in Luke 15, we do that together corporately. Why? Why? I want to tell you this, because of something called the perichoresis. I know it sounds like something very painful and you go and see your doctor about, but it's a Greek word, and it describes how the Father, the Son, and the Spirits, the Trinity, are connected with each other. So what? Because when we say God is love, well, how do we know? Because the Father has a perfect relationship with the Son. And the Son... Loves the Spirit. And as you and I encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, we are drawn into a community, and that community reflects the heart of God because God is a community, three persons in one. Okay, everybody's asleep. Hold on. What does it mean? It means that Jesus and the Father have the most profoundly beautiful relationship. It's incredible. And you know what? That is Paul's vision for the church. When I was a kid, I was part of an amazing youth group in the West Midlands. And every summer we'd go uh, to a camp uh, in South Wales... And it wasn't particularly a charismatic church. It, was, it, it, it really wasn't. We didn't have any language for that, the stuff that we do here. But I remember there'd be times when we'd worship and someone would strum a guitar. And then we'd have people share th- what they were thinking, or I guess words. But, you know, the thing, that was abs- the thing that I remember to this day wasn't so much the activity and moving of the Spirit, but it was the fruit of the Spirit. Because people would come and say, do you know what? I've been, f- I've been thinking really bad thoughts about you. and I, Not you, Heather. I'm just doing this. I don't uh- <laughs> Uh, no, no, don't worry. But they'd come and say, they'd come and say, Do you know, I just want to f- share this. I, wanna, I just want to confess it. Or I said something to you the other day and I'm really sorry. There was this um, amazing time where the Spirit of God would heal and restore relationships. And it was profoundly beautiful, especially for teenagers, because I don't know about you, but well, I just never let anybody close. But all of a sudden, when the Spirit of God would move, there was something phenomenal that can only come from it only God can bring together people who are totally different and stand side by side and say you're the family you're the church of Jesus and that is what Paul is saying here and it comes against the idolatry of autonomy which says, I am going to choose my life, I'm going to live my life in the way that I want, when I want it, and you can't tell me what to do. Because the Apostle Paul says, no, actually, we teach and admonish one another. But you think, well, hang on a minute. No, we don't. I've not signed up for that problem. Because if we belong to Christ, and you belong to Christ, you belong to me, and I belong to you. You see? So what does that mean? It means on Tuesday night, when I went to my first table... I didn't want to go. No disrespect some people here in the table. Not that you're not nice people. But I thought, oh, man, I felt I'm tired. It must be the Holy Spirit saying don't go. I thought, oh, no, well, how can I get out of this? Maybe the dog's eating a slug and been sick or something. So I can say, I can't go. I've got to clear up the sick. Or the kids are real. I don't don't want to go. Why do I want to go? Because I thought, well, I... I don't want to make myself vulnerable because I'm the vicar. And somebody might corner me and say, oh, they don't like what's going on. And all these tables, it's all chaotic. Yeah, we know. It's not very organized. Sorry about that, folks. And they might go for me. And they might have an issue about theology or what's happening in the Church of England. And I thought, well, I won't be safe if I go. So I'll just feign illness. And then I thought, I can't do that because I'm the vicar. I didn't want to go, actually. But I went. I was very late, partly because it started at 7.30 I thought it was eight, and I got there about ten past eight, but there you go. So I'd missed quite a lot. (laughs) That is genuine. But, you know, it was amazing. It was really amazing. Sense of the presence of God. And I just thought, you know, I, I get a bit lonely sometimes in this job. And to be part of some other people was beautiful. It was amazing. And it's going to be a little weird because they might not be, because I'm there and other people are there. But but it's part of the spirit of God weaving together something which means that when we talk about embassies of hope, we're stepping into, it's going to take some time, but to step into something that looks and smells like the city, the eternal city. And you know the beautiful thing about city is I will have a full head of hair. It's going to be amazing. I don't know what products, I'm thinking already, what pro, what, how do I get it? I don't know, how do I spike it? But you know, that there won't be any issue between us. Isn't that amazing? There'll be no fear. You know, like when you hear somebody's name, you get that knot in your stomach. Or you see somebody, you can't look them in the eye. There'll be none of that in heaven. And it'll be beautiful. There'll be no fear. You'll have to cover who you are. It'll be the most beautiful, profound thing. And we are to see and pray in and believe for it this side, in the church of Jesus, that we look as we're clothed like him. So when we are stepping into the embassy of hope, when we open our doors and say, You come and join us, when people walk in, they think, This looks and smells like Jesus Christ. People who are lonely people who are broken, and say, come and be loved for who you are and for who Jesus wants to restore you into being. And I think, folks, we'll leave that there. Shall we pray?